So on this podcast, I often say, oh, let's call them very bad things about normal shoes. But maybe normal shoes are really fine if you do one little thing to them. Or maybe not. We'll find out on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body. Starting feet first, because you know those things are your foundation. We break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the flat-out lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or do yoga or CrossFit or just play or you know enjoy your life. And to do that enjoyably, efficiently, effectively. Did I mention enjoyably? I know I did. You don't need to tell me because it was a trick question. Because look, if you're not having fun, do something different till you are. Life is way too short. By the way, we call this the movement movement because we're creating a movement that involves you, and I'll explain that in a second, about natural movement, using your body the way it's designed to work. And the part that involves you is really simple. If you find what we're doing here cool, go check us out at www.jointhemovementmovement.com because you are the people who move this whole idea that natural movement is a good thing. And the way you can do that now is find the previous episodes of the podcast. Subscribe and you know, you'll hear about new episodes. If you're depending on what platform you're imbibing this on, if it's on YouTube or Facebook or on any of the places that people do podcasts, leave reviews or give us a thumbs up or hit the bell icon on YouTube. You know how it goes. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. It's really simple. And I'll say more about that at the end of the podcast. But first, let us jump in. Pete Jacobs, how the hell are you, man? Long time no chat. Yeah, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Um, we're just beautiful days in Noosa in Queensland. Well, you know, that's being kind of redundant because it's pretty much always a beautiful day where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not too different from Colorado, actually. Today, we've had three seasons. It started out cold and snowing, and then it went to uh, sunny, then it went to raining, then it went back to sunny, and now it's sunny in, like in the 60s when it was, I, literally, it was snowing when I went to work this morning. That's what happened. We had five inches of snow two days ago, gone yesterday, more this morning. Anyway, it's crazy. So do me a favor. Tell human beings, before we jump into this this magic thing you can do to make uh, regular shoes be okay, tell people who you are and what you're up to and you know whatever else you want to share about who you are and what you're up to. My name is Pete Jacobs. I'm the 2012 Ironman World Champion. That's my claim to fame. One of my other favorite highlights from my career as a professional triathlete was running a 2.41.05, which at the time was the third quickest marathon, only behind Dave Scott and Mark Allen. Um, nice. So we've been run on the big island in the Ironman. So it's now the fourth quickest, but, you know, it's, it's still up there. So as I love running. As long as you're in the top five, you can pull that one out at any time. <laughs> yeah. So I love running. And I've always had health issues up and down. So for the last few years, I've really focused on learning about what the body needs and uh, how to get it most beneficial. Our mutual friend, Dr. Phil Maffetone, I chat with him a bit and I've become a health coach through this journey and passion for seeking, you know, answers to health. So now I work with people um, around energy. What is energy? How do we get more of it? How do we get rid of fatigue and how do we healthier for longevity for what we want to do how do we get more enjoyment because you know energy is everything from being able to perform well to just being happy and have emotions and uh hormones that let us live a great life i've wondered something for a long time and i've never l bothered to look it up and that is i wonder if there was a different word that we used other than energy prior to the industrial revolution prior to electricity becoming a thing because you know the metaphors change over time you know prior to the computer world uh, or computer age we didn't refer to the brain with metaphors like computer metaphors which we do now and um so i'm saying this because maybe it'll inspire you one night if you can't sleep to try and find that out of you know what did we used to say what were the other words and i'm sure there's a latin root and maybe energy or some variation is what we've used but just that sort of feeling but i one of the reasons that i ask is people misuse that word and talk about it in ways that are you know not really appropriate or not accurate biologically um, versus what you're talking about which is really a subjective thing above and beyond all else yeah i'm exactly the same it really annoys me when people say oh i just need to eat more to have more energy <laughs> and i'm like calorie is the fuel but it is very very small part of actually how you what is energy and how, why you feel good like it's really so, never the answer so when you think about energy or when you're working with clients and you're this is the concept that's part of your part of what you're doing how do you think about it and what do you think are the things that sustain it allow it create it sap it you know all the things that one can do with this mythical energy that we're talking about well i have a very very long list how much, of how much time do you have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I go from a scientific biological perspective, which is energy is 
ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate. So that little spark of electricity that we use to move muscles to drive life, it is our life force. It is the thing that allows us and plants, all living things, have ATP that make us a lot, keep us alive. So from that perspective, then we kind of go back and look at, okay, well, in all aspects of what we want to do in our life, like performance, athleticism, work, our brain function, our skin function, all of the things that we kind of measure as health and performance, if we say, well, how is energy and energy inhibition relating or, or um, let's say, to making that easier or harder? So energy, what is inhibiting energy? And that's where my long list of stress and stress has a long list of 30 different things that it could be coming from so I, I try and explain it as all this kind of gunk and plaque and stuff builds up around the mitochondria and inhibits all the good stuff getting in like oxygen like blood flow like nutrients vitamins that make actually producing that atp harder and so that is why if we think of people who are really fatigued and i've had fatigue issues since I was a teenager, you you feel like you have no oxygen. Your brain doesn't work. You've got brain fog. It's You go lactic very, very quickly when you exercise. And it comes back to that is exactly what's happening. The oxygen can't get through because there's a lot of inhibitors to the ATP being produced in the mitochondria. So these in, inhibitors are what we try and reduce by having good sleep, which clears the stress every day, by having good food, which helps by becoming a better fat burner, which helps more oxygen flow. So the reverse of being kind of the reverse of hyperventilating with bad breath, the reverse of eating a high sugar diet, which lowers oxygen carrying capacity. So all of those things that Dr. Phil Maffetone has been talking about for decades, I'm now taking into a my own little niche, which is well, let's look at how all those factors are actually inhibiting energy production. You know, I've been following Phil for since the 80s. And um, when I started Zero Shoes and got hip to what we were doing and how it relates to what he was doing, I called him up and I said, I've got to ask you, do you feel vindicated that people are finally coming around to your way of thinking? Or do you feel kind of pissed that it's taken them so long? <laughs> and yeah. he says, more of the latter. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a similar conversation actually with uh, Nick Romanoff, who created what people call Pose Method, and said the same thing. It's like, you know, now that people are starting to understand running mechanics, do you feel vindicated because you've been doing this for 50 years? Or like, come on, people. And he goes, that one. So it, it is, it, it's a challenging thing when you're way ahead of the curve. Yeah. I think being ahead of the curve really just means that you understood evolution <laughs> and you were able to look back in time. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Basically, if we want to get ahead of the curve now in the next evolution or the next yeah, evolution of what health and performance means, just go back into time and look back a thousand years ago. And the obvious ones are like, as you mentioned, electricity. It didn't exist yeah. like a hundred years ago. Like yeah. we didn't have bright blue LED lights disturbing our hormones. And that was just such a short time ago. Yeah, um, that's one of the major things. But there's a lot of other things that really did not exist a couple of hundred years ago. Well, the, you know, the going back in time thing is interesting, but of course, rife with challenge. I remember I was on a panel discussion about sort of um, natural movement things um, related to exercise. And I said, look, let's call a spade a spade. We're not doing things we used to do, like walking down to the river, picking up rocks, bringing them back and turning them into a house. We're not running to get food or running away from becoming food. And I can say, you know, that thing, just that phenomenon about running is so interesting to me as a competitive sprinter. It's like when I work out just doing regular workouts, you know, I get a little sore. But when I do a race, uh, first of all, I run faster than I do in my workouts. And secondly, I am super sore for way, way longer when I've done less during the race day than I did during my training days. So clearly there's a biochemical thing going on with the stress of comp competition that's similar to, I imagine, that stress of running after food or running away from food, probably even more, or becoming food. And we can't replicate that. You can't fake that. You can't fake, you know, I don't care how much functional movement you're doing. It's not the same as spending all day, every day getting materials to build a house. And so, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts about the fact that we can't really go back and recreate the way these things evolved because that ship has sailed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We no longer live in caves and um, we Speak can't go back yourself. there. 
I've been decorating yeah. a cave lately. <laughs> Actually, I've been we've been redecorating a house or renovating a house that we moved into, and we're living in the basement, and it feels like we're living in a cave. We have to remind ourselves there's an upstairs <laughs> in the house. Well, if you want to really do it, uh, you know, disconnect the electricity, and you know, then <laughs> use little candles, and you know, your health boosts will just be you know out of this world if you just oh, if we did that sort of stuff. So, how do we live this day? Was that the question? How do we live when that ship has sailed? Like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I do in the back of my mind, my instinct says, hey, the closer the closer I can live to that caveman lifestyle, the healthier I'll be. So that is obvious. The less light, the less fake light, the less processed food, the less restricted uh, movement, as, mm-hmm. as that's what we're talking about, definitely. So that would be in the form of the less shoes, the less repetition under stress and as you mentioned that's an interesting one when we get chased by an animal or something back in the day yeah that stress would have been there and our nervous system and all the hormonal impact that we get and that's fine when it's just for the moment and animals still can do this because they only exist kind of in the minute they can shake off something that's happened in the past very quickly Right, But we don't. We now carry that. Our brains are actually one of the things that are destroying us in our a way that we are able to create stress that doesn't exist in mm-hmm. this moment. The way that we are able to create emotions connected to things which don't exist. So all stuff in the past or the future. And so instead of just Let's say you did the race and you have more stress. Your nervous system, hormonal response, as well as oxidative stress all goes up. Now, an animal in that situation would have been if they were getting chased. After the chase is over, they go back to nervous system calms down. Something like a rabbit, you can see them. They do a little shiver and they kind Mm. of shake it all out. And they're like, okay, I'm back to normal. And that tremor is actually, we're able to do that as well if we can tap into it. So you see in the animal world this, okay, stress exists, then stress, we clear it, we forget it, we're back to just chewing on grass and being happy and all good. But in our world, it's do the high intensity interval training session in the morning and then go and sit at work and work in an office in a stressful environment. And then we come home and we're having an argument with our spouse because we're tired and irritable because our hormones are messed up. And then we stay up late watching TV to try and de-stress, which is really just wrecking our hormones in another way from the lack of getting the melatonin production for, for good sleep. And we're suddenly in this chronic state of stress. So it isn't that we can't uh, stress. Yes, stress happens and it's good. If we do a race, that's great. You'll perform really well by pushing yourself harder than in training. But being able to then de-stress is the most important part. And there's so many ways to do that, as well as there's all the problems that inhibit energy production by increasing stress. There's just as long a list of things that we can do to try and reduce that stress and get back our energy. So what are, throw out a couple of things on that list since I'm sure, I mean, we already kind of hinted at a few, but for people who are going, yeah, you just described my life. Now what? Give them a couple of ideas. Well, becoming present is one, like I mentioned, the animals do and they live in the moment. So really just, even if it's just 30 seconds to a minute, breathe in and out your nose into your belly, which is great for vagal tone, which is your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your opposite to fight and flight. It, parasympathetic is your rest and recovery. And so breathing in and out of the belly and bringing your mind present. So that basically means you think of nothing and you're bored for one minute. Absolutely bored. I'm going to give a clarification, or not a clarification, I'm going to give another version of that. Because there's a a lot of people that I talk to who have gotten ideas about what meditation is, and they think that it is. I'm supposed to clear my mind. I'm supposed to have no thoughts. Well, I don't know any better way to say this than good fucking luck. So (laughs) that's not the way minds work. And in fact, if you actually look at the most of the instructions for mindfulness meditation, they're not about trying to really stay focused and single pointed as much as this paradoxical thing of trying to catch every moment possible, like as many as you can, as fast as you can. But the paradox is the only way to do that is by relaxing, or there's a balance between relaxing and putting in the effort to try to catch that next moment, whether the next moment is a sensation, a thought, a feeling, a sound, an image, whatever shows up, just, you know, one after another, after another. And again, paradoxically, the better you get at being more granular, getting more moments per second that you're noticing, the more relaxing it is. Because again, the only way to get better is by 
doing something that kind of makes you accessible, that makes you available to noticing all that by relaxing a little more. And that's something anyone can do. It's like try to catch as many as you can. And when you miss it, that's okay. Go back again. But this thing of like stopping your thinking is like, again, good luck with that. I was actually, uh, I'll stop ranting about this in a second. I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's a Tibetan monk actual Tibetan guy. And he um, was teaching a meditation in this big group. And someone said, I can't do it because I can't make my mind get quiet. And he says, well, you just need to practice more. And then he says, but you know, FYI, when the monks who are living in monasteries and living in caves come down to this big city and go to a shopping mall, they can't do it either. And so after this is all done, I punch him in the shoulder. I said, did you hear what you said? He said, what do you mean? I said, you just said that the professionals, the best of the best, the Michael Jordans of meditation can't do it after they leave the cave and come down into the marketplace. But then your instruction to this woman who lives in the marketplace was practice more. Doesn't work that way. He goes, good point. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. a bit of a tan- it's a bit of a tangent, but yeah, that's where the connecting it with the breath work. And mm-hmm. like I say, just slow your breath down five seconds in five seconds out into the belly through yeah. the nose. Yeah. You are bringing your awareness, your, your awareness comes into your breath and your body. So you're noticing all of those granular things, as you say, and I I try and get them to notice like with each breath, your body becomes more relaxed. So focus on the muscles becoming more relaxed, your mind becoming more relaxed. That feeling of like after you've had a massage and you stand up and walk out of the spa, you can get that feeling in 30 seconds just by relaxing and doing it. Like you literally just go, I feel relaxed. How can I get more relaxed? And with the next breath, more relaxed. You know, the irony about in what you just said is, so we have this stressful thing and then we need to relax and that's the part we're bad at. And one of the, another great way to relax is by deliberately creating specific stress, namely tense up a muscle and then let it go and feel that sort of spreading to the next muscle group and then tense up the next muscle group and let it go and feel that spreading. Another way of doing the same thing where you're deliberately creating the stress relaxation response in real time. Yeah. And then I added to that, (laughs) <laughs> is when you're doing that breath work and relaxing your body, increase your posture, mm. improve your posture. So big part of being in present and calm and in control is having a quiet confidence. Mm. So too much ego is obviously can be overly confident and your mind is like, ah, oh, I'm amazing. I'm so good. I'm going to kick these people's ass. And you start to maybe get a bit aggressive and a, and a bit out of your own awareness. Whereas quiet confidence is much more like just saying to yourself, I've got this, like, mm. you know, and that is what athletes are always doing. And I love always referring to like Usain Bolt, how relaxed he is before the race, during the race afterwards. Dude, I was in Berlin at the race where he set the world record, where he ran 9.58. And I happened to be there. My wife was friends. Her, she was an exchange student in Germany. Her exchange student sister her husband was the head of Berlin tourism. So he said, do you want to go to the race? It's like, yeah, it's the world championships. And so we're sitting like five rows off the track at the 70 meter mark, right where he's hitting his top speed. But the important part was not that the important part is that before the race, they'd done all their warmouts and he comes out and he sits down on the behind the blocks next to Tyson Gay, who everyone thought was going to win the race. And the two of them, they had to wait like 15 minutes before the race actually started for some reason. I don't know why. And the two of them, each one of them, they looked like they were going to fall asleep. They were just kind of, you know, sitting back, a little hunched over, not paying attention. And they just looked like they were going to pass out. And my favorite part, almost no one noticed it right before the race started. You know, they're both like head down, just chilling. And then Bolt and Tyson Gay, they looked at each other at the same time and just kind of gave each other a subtle low five. Then they got up and got in the blocks. It was awesome. I mean, because I had been trying to get psyched up before a race and they were doing the exact opposite. Exactly. They're just being in the present moment. And that is when your body is the most relaxed, the most powerful energy is flowing. As you said, if you tense your fist and then with that tense fist, try and punch something or grab something like you're slower and less accurate than Mm -hmm. if you're totally relaxed and then try and move as quickly and accurately as you can. So that's an easy thing to test. And so you combine just taking that breath in and out of the belly through the nose relaxing your body with each breath more and more, as well as improving your posture with each breath. So you'll stand there, and this is an easy thing, I would say, stare at a dot on the wall that is just going to make you feel bored because there's nothing there. And then you'll notice as you do this breathing relaxation present practice, you will get taller compared to that dot on the wall. And that, you then walk away with this posture. And posture, as we know, there's been 100 TED Talks about it, which I recommend you go and watch. 
is that your posture influences your hormones as well. Mm. So you will increase testosterone, you'll increase your parasympathetic nervous system function, all of these things that come with feeling calm and confident and in the present moment are the, the most beneficial things for in our day and age to recognize that you are, you have this kind of stress chronically. So you only need to do it a minute, 30 seconds to a minute. And if you can do that every time you get a cup of tea, every time or you go to the toilet, have like a trigger place. Mm-hmm. And while you're waiting for the kettle to boil, you do that then you can actually just check in and build that awareness. And as you said, the practice is that you get better at building the awareness of when you're stressed. Right. And so you can do it. And then in a performance mindset, you get good at doing that while you're exercising so that as you're running harder and your tension is building, let's say your traps, your trapezius muscles start to tense up and your shoulders raise up. You get really good at noticing those changes and then go, oh, oh my God, I've got to relax my shoulders. And that then you can do it in a race. So in training, for example, bringing it into the to my my career as a professional triathlete, in my long runs, I would notice when that tension would build. My mind would be starting to say, oh, this is starting to get hard. And I would feel the tension physically and mentally. And I would just take a break. I'd have a sip of water splash some water on my face. I'd do a couple of dynamic stretches and then I'd reset and start again as if it was the first step of the day. And because I did that in training, obviously in a marathon in Hawaii, I mean, every race that I did, even running 241, I walked aid stations. And (laughs) that practicing the reset in training and in your day-to-day life gets you really good at it. So you can then do it really quickly, really efficiently and get this a huge benefit because it's all you've got to then do is like use a trigger phrase for example if you tie a trigger phrase to this practice like in 2012 my trigger phrase was love that Mm. was the word and that's a sense of gratitude it's a sense of um it was a, a trigger word that i related to this change in my nervous system and mindset and so i literally just had to use the word love or told my um supporters tell me i love this i love the pain i love the challenge all of those things. And yeah, it was one of the easiest races of my life. You know, I've watched a couple of things on YouTube recently of runners. Mo Farah had this happen. A number of other runners have had it happen where they're in a race and they get tripped and they fall down and then suddenly they're last and then they win the race. And everyone talks about what an amazing thing this was. And I've been thinking about this just in the last week. It's like, no, they got a break. They got a, they got a couple of seconds to reset. And they probably had more energy than the uh, the competitors because of that. I mean, I have a, I have flashbacks to riding my bike in Boulder, Colorado, where again I'm a sprinter, so distance and I don't get along very well. And there's I could tell there's a time where it's like I'm going to start getting progressively more tired. And if I just stop happily, like at a stoplight, or if I had to just pull off to the side of the road for 20 seconds, then the whole ride will end up being faster because I did that reset. And no one's ever tried this as a deliberate strategy to go into a race and then just like, and I'm going to pull off for just a moment here and then come back and beat you all. I think that would be hysterically interesting to find out if if that actually works as a strategy. Well, you're you're resetting for one. um, And if you're falling and and you're introducing some chaos, and chaos is a great thing. Yeah. You know, that is where, as humans, we're faltering because our brain is now in this like we look at our phone we get up we have our coffee we go to work we're stressed we're in this pattern even running we run exactly the same way on a perfectly smooth path as in these shoes that take away the proprioception and the changes in the surface and the chaos is now taken out of our life and reintroducing chaos is an excellent thing so whether it be in the gym I was speaking to someone the other day and they said, so how do I get better? I'm, I'm smaller guy. I'm trying to do this sport that involves strength. And I said, okay, well, you need to do some different stuff in the gym. He now just currently has forever done three reps, three sets of 10 reps in the gym all the time. Right. And I was like, well, your body is just really good at doing three sets of 10 reps. Right. You're not actually giving it feedback of how strong it could be if you did some max weight. You know, we are strong. And and what you said made me think of Tim Noakes and the central governor theory. Right. That the a way that we get energy is defined by our brain. And so falling, tripping, 
suddenly we've got adrenaline and the adrenaline gives us more energy. Doesn't it allows us to demand more energy by triggering our muscles and all anyway. So you, you, you look you, at that. Yeah. Um, can you, for people who don't know, can you tell them what the central governor theory is? It's very interesting. The central governor theory is relating to the brain as the central governor, the governing part of your whole system that is limiting your performance. And that's Tim Noakes' theory. So you've basically got one side of things is the condition that you turn up on race day in. So your biological condition, what adaptations have you done in training? How rested are you? How hydrated and vitamins, minerals, all of that stuff. That's one part of it. The other, the key part of what limits you, the, the part that limits you on race day is then your brain. So his point is, why doesn't the guy that places second in the marathon suddenly collapse at the finish line? How is he not given everything to have caught the guy in front? What was the limiting thing? And the other, I love this analogy that I did see on a TED Talk is your pain tolerance and motivation wears out. It runs low. So yeah. if you're being chased by a lion and have to run through a whole heap of cactus bushes and get pricked all the way through, in that first couple of minutes of being chased, your pain tolerance and motivation is really high. And you'll run through and like you'll barely even notice the pain. If you're still getting chased by the lion two hours later and you come across this same bunch of cactuses, you're probably going to get like a couple of meters in and just go, oh, whatever, just kill me. Yeah. Just eat me. Yeah. I'm over it. And that's what happens in long races, especially if you – so central governor is improved by keeping karma throughout the race, which is where being in the zone, being present, it keeps all of that pain tolerance and motivation that you need for the back end of the race – rather than exhausting it early. So if you are in the first part of your race and you're present, you're grateful, you're happy, you're relaxed, you're confident, you're calm, your nervous system is not having to tap into adrenaline and mm. these other factors of pain tolerance that you can save till later. So later on when you suddenly are like, you know, a shorter time to go and you can go, okay, I need to tap into this now. Let's get aggressive or let's fight the pain and let's push through. And you can then do what you need to do. So I have another another race strategy that no one's ever tried, which is to take some sort of hallucinogenic drug that on a regular <laughs> basis makes you think you're being chased by a lion. Like, you know, at will, you can turn that one on and you're convinced that there's something behind you. And then it, it would actually have to be a drug that um, it, it mixed up the animals. So you wouldn't know what was going to chase you. <laughs> well, one of the... One of the things I love about, which is kind of around introducing chaos a little bit, is do stuff that is slightly stressful, but get really comfortable being uncomfortable. So that could be a position, for example, like I do it in a leg press mm -hmm. where I bring the weight down really low where my hips are cramped up and my, my knees are near my chest. And I will just hold it there and I'll move back and forward through that space of a few inches and try and relax my nervous system as much as I can, my mind and body, through those uncomfortable things. And so same thing goes for doing a max effort in the gym of other types of things or a max effort sprinting. Right. The more you can maintain that control of your mind in a relaxed, emotionless state, the more you will adapt to being comfortable in uncomfortable situations and therefore your central governor will allow you to push harder in those in the race yeah i just heard someone talking about one of the best reasons to do brazilian jiu-jitsu was exactly that is that you know in in brazilian jiu-jitsu more than many other martial arts you're continually placed in very stressful situations and the only way out is to be calm and relax and figure out how to solve the problem and over time that becomes a habitual process in the rest of your life because you're familiar with that feeling of like, you know, like someone's about to choke you out. That's a pretty significant thing. You don't have anything like that during your day. You get things that are way less than that. So, you know, it's an interesting thing of acclimating to discomfort in a way that's, that's useful um, rather than just, you know, gritting your teeth and bearing it, which is the way many people think of dealing with that. Yeah, so, 100%. So backing up to um, a point you made that, of course, is near and dear to my heart and what we teased at the intro to this thing, which it has to do with footwear, which is how you and I originally met. So um, let's talk about the footwear phenomenon and how this relates to sort of everything we've been talking about, actually. But we have to start with the part of if you're starting with regular shoes, you know, what's the one thing you can do to make them uh, ostensibly better and your experience with that experiment? <laughs> 
Well, in one way, it made them better by reducing the heel to toe drop. And so in another me, way, it made them, quite, made them quite dangerous in another way. Yeah. <laughs> so I always wore racing flats. So even being sponsored by a major shoe company, um, the shoes that I would choose were basically the cheapest, the racing and, flat. And why, just to start, why, what inspired that thought to begin with? Why were you doing that? Always been interested in technique and efficiency. And it was probably in around 2009 or 10, I read Born to Run, mm. the book. And I was training for Ironman as a professional triathlete. And I had a mate who was an engineer. And we would go for long runs, chatting about technique, trying to break down what was suggested in that book of natural running and how could we, what could we draw from it? How could we do it? Yeah. So we, we spoke for hours on our long runs and, and basically figured out that, yeah, we need to be landing kind of over the top of our foot. We need to be really tall and we need to be landing and putting more weight through the forefoot. So from there, it progressed. Um, we did like we were teaching some running classes as well. So we really had to dive into how do we break this down to explain it to people, which mm -hmm. helped our understanding of what running was and then we were watching people run and we could then learn to see how they were doing it right or wrong and then so from that it was just like right any, anything I run in needs to be pretty minimal as much as I could get for the forefoot so yeah racing flats became the best option on the market and what I then started doing around that 2011 to 2012 period was taking off that hard plastic on the back of the heel of the racing flat so basically around you know three mil two to three mil maybe of that harder plastic which just left on the heel the soft dense foam and i realized pretty quickly that that soft dense foam if you are running in the wet and step on like concrete or a pretty smooth surface especially like tiles that has water it's like putting two sheets of glass together with water between them yeah it like just compresses the water and suddenly you're like on ice so <laughs> it made it better that yes it made the shoe slightly lighter which i'm always going for lightweight it made the heel toe drop less which obviously allows more of that natural spring to occur in the tendons and um so my i could get more more energy rebounding from the the heel dropping and yeah no one ever noticed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of things that people don't notice um i did some stuff with dr bill sands who was the head of biomechanics for the u.s olympic committee for a while and and he said um we experimented with some runners where we put a little bit of carbon fiber inside their shoe just to make the shoe a little more actually ironically to make their foot a little more responsive because in when uh, some pressure hit the carbon fiber it transmitted through the carbon fiber faster than it would the foam in the shoe and it also just made the the shoe, it wasn't stiff, the carbon fiber, but it just, again, was giving people more feedback about using their feet. And he, and he says, and it made them actually a little faster. And then he looks at me, we're alone in this big room. And he looks at me, he looks around as if there's someone listening. He goes, you know, they never look inside your shoe at the beginning of a race, right? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, very interesting. So, you know, I like what you described of, it's such a human thing of, we come up with a brilliant idea uh, and we're just so bad at thinking of the unforeseen consequences that might show up up until they literally put us on our butt sometimes and then it's like okay how do i how do i do the next one well i just remembered something that i did around that time it was around around 2011 was i made a, a thong a shoe thong like what you have yeah. um out of an old thong like a sandal or yeah, yeah. you know what you call it like just the bit of rubber in a triangle at the front of the shoe at the front of the thong the old cheap plastic style ones and i put a bit of tie around the corners in around my back of my heel and went running yeah. in them they felt amazing so i literally just made what the tarumura in born to run were well, this running is, this is what's so ironic about <laughs> yeah what's so ironic about a flip-flop or what's referred to in the footwear industry is the zori style so is just having that thong in the front and there is a name for it that i can't that i just lost in my head too it's horrible because you have to jam your toes into the thong you got to grip with your toes to keep it on your mm. foot but if all you did was add the heel strap which is effectively it's not even what the tarumura did if you look at the old oldest 
bit of footwear that's been dug up archaeologically. It came out of Utah. It's made of sagebrush bark, and it looks just like that. It's got a thong and it's got a heel strap, and so it's it, that way. It's holding all the way around your foot and letting you just get the benefits of having some protection without the detriment of having to do unnatural things with your body. Yeah, I haven't worn a normal sandal thong in so many years, but oh. when I did put one on the other, like several months ago. And had to realize, oh, my God, all this time I was gripping my toes when I walked in this for my whole life. Yeah. Because you get used to it, like chronic stress and all these other things. You get used to it. You don't realize that you have to do it. So, yeah, I'll never go back to wearing a shoe, wearing well, something this, I have to grip. This is the secret sauce about natural movement is once you once you sort of reawaken your body to it, you can't go back. And uh, my wife's story is, you know, she said to me one day, I hate that we own this shoe company. I said, why? She goes, because I've been looking for a nice pair of brown boots and I found one, but the heel is like a quarter of an inch high. And when I put it on, I felt like I was going to fall on my face. And so when we made our first boot for women, she was, couldn't have been more happy because now she had something she could wear. Same thing. I mean, we've done a lot of things where she says, uh, I need something for this. I need something when I'm going out and raising money for the business. I need something for, you know, and so we do those things. There are... I can't think of any of many other let's not I don't even say shoe companies I don't want to talk about zero shoes specifically but I can't think of any other situations where once you get so other than drugs once you get so used to it you don't want to go back I mean we have so many customers who say things like I own 15 pairs of your shoes and that doesn't happen in normal products um, but you know you get used well, to I it I would say I would say um, processed food that can happen as well if you really go without processed food long enough yeah and then Something that I grew up eating, like let's say, like biscuits, like with certain chocolate and fake caramels and all of this wait, rubbish on. in it. You're, wait, you're from the land of Tim Tam. Yes, that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> the chocolate, gonna, chocolate Tim Tam. Holy yeah, crap. and you're going to say you love it, and I'm going to say that I had one like a couple of years ago, and it was the most chemically fake thing that I've ever tasted. I haven't had one. It's been at least 15 years. Someone turned me on to them, and then there was a, a movie theater that had the triple chocolate ones, and uh, they were 100% pure Satan spawn because yeah. you, you know you couldn't eat anything less than the entire package. They're probably even more processed now than they were like when I grew up, right? So suddenly I can scent the chemicals in things that I never used to. Um, and so, you know, even if someone's nearby and they open up a packet of like, you know, jelly beans or something, and I'm not a, a totally adverse to having some of these glucose-based sure. um, lollies, like, you know, but the smell of them I can smell from a mile away, and it's just like, wow, it's basically like eating perfume. The smell is yeah, so strong. Yeah, yeah. So when you kind of cut stuff out, like some of that process stuff, you do really notice it. That's true. Um, you know, that would be an interesting thing to find the to find the ingredients from what it was 30 years ago. I, I, I had a I started a relationship over an argument about whether they had changed the recipe of Twinkies. And so then in Boulder, Colorado, at 11 o'clock on like Christmas Eve, we're driving around trying to find a Twinkie so we could look at the ingredients list. That was very hard to do. But in fact, the next week I was in Chicago and I found a pack of Twinkies and it literally said new improved recipe. And mm. you look on the back and the recipe was suddenly, you know, 50 lines long and included crazy things like beef mm. fat. Mm. Hey, Why is don't, don't, knock, don't knock beef fat. <laughs> I'm not knocking beef fat. I'm like, what's it doing in a Twinkie? That's the thing yeah. that I didn't understand. And, um, and I, but I haven't thought to like look and find from when I was a kid, some from 50 years ago, Jesus, that's a weird thing to say, what the recipe looked like then compared to what it looks like now. That would be really cool to discover. Yeah. So backing up to talking about more things, of, by the way, I didn't get to say, I love that you're breaking down this ephemeral, often misused concept of energy into its biological basis which is a very interesting thing. Um, and mitochondrial health is a very big deal. There are a lot of people who are looking into that for longevity reasons and for other things. And I've played with some of those compounds like nicotinamide riboside, which when I first took it for the first couple of weeks, um, I had to learn to only take it in the morning because it kept me awake, which is an unusual thing. I'm usually not very responsive to chemicals and compounds. And eventually, like you said, though, you get used to things and hmm. stop noticing what that was doing. Yeah, well... I've cut out coffee in the last couple of months, which probably surprises a lot of people there. So I feel better without it. So there's one thing which we take, oh, it's a stimulant. It must be good for us. It must make right. us think clearer and better and blah, blah, blah. And 
it may be the caffeine, it may be the plant compounds in that certain coffee products, but I just felt rubbish afterwards. And I just feel so much better without having coffee these days. And so I look more at what vitamins and minerals can I take to increase energy production Mm. and efficiency, efficient energy production. So it would be all the B vitamins. I take a, a really good B vitamin multi. I, when I want to, sometimes I'll take like ribose or creatine, um, L-carnitine, all of these things that it's, but there's all these studies that are showing, hey, yeah. if we've put it in the lab and we put someone on a treadmill, they will perform better if we give them this supplement. And that's how basically, you know, I look at how to get better energy without because calories are not a problem in our world we we are not running around low on glycogen or low on fat for our energy source of fuel so it's it's totally let's look at what else we need to do and that improving circadian rhythm so our hormones are doing the right clearing of the stress at night so that we aren't inhibiting fat burning from too much cortisol and whatnot during the day you know those sort of factors as well as well as all the supplements. It makes me think about things that make you think like the, I'm going to, it's a weird placebo effect thing where you can do something where it, you think you're getting more quote unquote energy, functional energy, useful energy, but you're actually just getting a symptom of something that you're misinterpreting that way. And I don't know if that means that you, that there is a placebo effect where you get benefits. What I'm thinking of in particular, I'm not very responsive to caffeine. I don't drink uh, caffeinated beverages because I don't like the taste of them mostly and caffeine. Um, I did try once taking like a 200 milligram caffeine pill and it put me to sleep. Um, so it may be, I'm sure I wasn't diagnosed with something like ADD or ADHD, but that's what people don't know is for the treatment for kids who have that is giving them stimulants because it actually sort of calms your brain down by getting the base level of stimulation up to a point where you can relax. It's like I used to say when I lived in New York City, I could meditate better on a subway because the noise was just like just enough louder than my base level of thinking that I wasn't noticing that. But now I've been playing um, with niacin, which factors into the ATP cycle quite quite mm, significantly. Yeah. And a, a lot of people I know have acclimated to it and they can take a significant amount. For whatever reason, I can't, um, like 150 milligrams and I am looking like I've got a sunburn and you know, the whole thing, I've got the serious niacin flush. Um, but I can also imagine with things like niacin or beta alanine that you get this feeling that something is happening. That's probably not the thing that you necessarily need, but I wonder if that feeling has an impact on the central governor, for example, on something, you know, on performance, just because it's not quite a placebo effect, but let's call it a fake SIBO effect. It's like you think something's happening because something is happening, but not the thing that you think, but nonetheless, that still impacts you. (laughs) Yeah. And I use that example all the time when people like, I'm very, very much a, a proponent, like low carb is, is great. And, but at the same time, there is a place for sugar and but it's just not always the reason that you think it is so just tasting something sweet when you're exercising the taste of it is enough for your brain to go hey i'm safe i'm all good i've got energy coming i've got calories coming in and whether you absorb that and whether it changes your blood sugar whether it gets to your muscles often just doesn't matter sometimes it will but it's not always as yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. what's happening is not always happening and you get the dopamine and it's like what we said before if tasting something sweet makes you happy then you're going to be more present you're going right. to be more relaxed calmer confident um so yeah being happy and grateful brings you present increases the perception of energy well, and to your point previously about awareness and being aware of what your body is doing the fine line if you will is that if you're eating those things, and as a sprinter, I'm a high-carb guy, the challenge, if you will, is to keep your awareness so that you're not eating more than the benefit slash feeling that you're getting. And this is not something – I don't have an issue with this personally. I'm not like a binge eater. I don't eat a whole thing of ice cream. It usually – in fact, we have, we have some ice cream that was in our freezer for seven years because I ate the bite or two that I wanted – and then I was done. <laughs> that was about it. So I had COVID back in January and I locked myself in the basement. I had, um, I ate mostly peanut butter and jelly, oranges, apples, caramel rice cakes. And I had one bar of like really good chocolate and it lasted me 12 days. I, I wanted just a little bit. I just needed a taste of it. That was it. That's and, the opposite and- of what I was saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> vitamins and nutrients are the most important thing. And yeah, you <laughs> but see, I'm I'm on the I don't know when I'm going to get hit by a bus diet, so uh, <laughs> I tend I tend to go on the is this enjoyable and and being you know being in the basement with COVID was so unenjoyable and I I got to tell you man every time I made one of those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I was so happy it made me excruciatingly happy <laughs> and um, it's become it's become more of a staple in my diet and in fact when I do it late, lately and I do it like almost every day now the amount of peanut butter that I use is just enough to get the flavor that's all i care about i just want that little bit of flavor and it makes me extraordinarily happy yeah yeah that sounds good but you, i gotta tell you something i haven't told any i told my wife about this last night i haven't told anybody else about this yet um but back to your point about gratitude so uh, i'm gonna try and do the shortest version of this that i can i came up with a question that i like to ask about stress and problems that it's a two-parter, but the first part is the most important one. And so I ask someone to like describe the problem that they're dealing with, the thing that's causing them stress. And then I ask them a non-rhetorical question, which is how long do you want to continue to use that problem as an excuse to be unhappy? And they're usually a little dumbstruck by that. I go, it's a legit question. Like if you had a choice of how long you want to keep thinking that to remain unhappy, What's your choice? It could be the I don't I want to stop right now. It could be I'm going to hold on to that for the rest of my life and future reincarnations. I don't care, but just you know, give me a specific time and day. And then the sub the secondary question is, what do you want to do at that time and day to demonstrate that you're no longer using that problem, quote unquote, as an excuse to be unhappy? And you have to come up with a thing. You just got to kind of wait and see what pops in your mind. Well, anyway, the thing that bothers me on a daily basis is people driving under the speed limit in front of me. <laughs> Makes me crazy. Okay. And dude, I've been driving back and forth from my office to the house on a road where the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. And never have I been on that road where there wasn't someone doing 40 in front of me for some long period of a uh, long stretch of the road. And every day, twice a day, it made me really annoyed. So for, I don't know why it never occurred to me to ask the question until the other night, like a week ago. It's like, how long do I want to maintain that? And the answer was, um, I'm, I'm totally happy stopping like right away. It's like, what would I do tomorrow as a demonstration that that's no, I'm no longer using that as an excuse to be unhappy? And for whatever reason, what popped into my head, here's the punchline, was every time someone's doing that, every time there's someone in front of me doing it under the speed limit, I use that as a cue to start listing things that I'm grateful for. And I'm having so much fun with people who are driving under the speed limit in front of me. Um, and of course, one of the things that makes me grateful is that I have a car that if I, you know, use the left turn lane illegally and pass them, um, at Mach five, uh, that I can do that. Uh, makes me very happy. <laughs> so but, but like, it's just not bothering me. I'm mm -hmm. actually, I sort of enjoy the fact that it's happening because it gives me a moment to really relax, really appreciate what's going on and be, I'm not a fan of the, the phrase presentness for a list of psychological mm -hmm. reasons, but it lets me drop the expectation of other things in a way that is, could not be more relaxing. Yeah. So the, someone driving slow has become your trigger. And then if you added in the nose breathing and belly breathing into that, like, yeah. you know, sometimes it's when you get to a traffic light for people because traffic lights are so annoying. I added you something just... for traffic lights. So yeah. I have a different one for traffic lights. My thing for traffic lights is I have to, for no reason, just start laughing for at least 10 seconds. It's <laughs> wow, awesome. that's it's that's awesome. Weird. You got to try it. <laughs> but, it only, but it only works if I, if I hit a light that I was hoping to not hit. If I thought I was going to make it through and I couldn't for some yeah. reason, if it's just a red light, I don't care. But it's got to be one of those ones that th I think is slowing me down, that I think is getting in my way. I read a or heard on a podcast, can't remember, um, about dealing with people who are driving slow or annoying you um, in any way, in any part of your life, right? Yeah. A good way is to wake up expecting that people are going to do things that annoy you. Right. And then when that happens, it's almost like, yes, I knew it. I was right. And you can actually congratulate yourself. So every time you would get behind someone well, driving slow, if the, you woke the, up saying, I bet, I know today someone is going to drive slow, then it happens. You're like, you're actually God. celebrating. Yeah. Well, you know, the other way to do that is just move to India. Um, when my yeah. wife and I, we were in India for a friend's wedding. And she said, why is it that we get more annoyed at home by little things 
than the huge, crazy things that are happening all day, every day here. And I said, it's basically like that. In India, you wake up expecting that it's going to be all day, every day craziness. And then it is. And so it's not at all surprising. But here, we expect things to go well. We expect things to go smoothly. We expect that the refrigerator isn't going to break for no reason and cost us a thousand bucks, you know, whatever it is. And it, the surprise is as much a stressor as probably more of a stressor than the actual thing itself. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, you and me both. So all that said, let's wrap this up. If there's any, do you want to give people any other last minute, either things that are kind of mythological or something you want to debunk about, have about energy and having it and not losing it or any other suggestion about, you know, what they might want to experiment with and have some fun before we call it a day? Well, yeah. Um, perception is everything pretty much. So I like to just say energy doesn't exist unless you demand it. So mm. eating more doesn't store more energy. It just stores calories. And you've already got more than enough calories to have more than enough energy. Is just if you taste something that your brain perceives, therefore, oh, I've eaten, therefore I can now go and do my run because I've it's perception of energy. Right. So energy, you've only got a few seconds of ATP stored. So really it's all about what your brain says about when you want to do more, think more, that will increase energy production. And to increase energy production with less in inhibition of energy production means reduce your stress in all of those many ways that you can. And getting good deep sleep with good circadian rhythm is probably, you know, the top of most people's list these days um, in our modern day and age. I think you nailed it. Dude, thank you so much. Before I let you go, for people who want to find out more about what you're up to or how you might be helpful in their life, how would they do that? So as a certified health coach now, my wife and I have our business, Live Your Own Fit. So liveyourownfit.com on social media. Follow me, just Pete Jacobs um, or our business. And yeah, get in touch. And we've got our own podcast as well, where I delve a lot into what we've talked about today about energy, fatigue, mindset, all of that stuff. And that is, yeah, live your own fit or just search for my name on your podcast app. And yeah, and that's what we're kind of focused on at the minute is, yeah, working through with people as health coaches. That's my current passion. And, but I'm not completely written off a comeback as a professional triathlete. Yeah. Ooh, very so I'm taking a big break. I am not really training much yet, but it's, I'm only 39 and, you know, Ironman triathletes can, going to their 40s so it's not written off but certainly focused on the business at the minute yeah, yeah. sounds great well thank you pete jacobs and before we let everyone go uh just uh for everyone else thank you for being here if you want to find out more about what we're up to and hear other episodes of the movement movement podcast that's really easy www.jointhemovementmovement.com you can of course find the audio version wherever you find podcasts but when you go to the website you'll find previous episodes as well you can comment you can share you can do all that stuff you know how to do if you have any questions or suggestions, people you want on the show, whatever you can think of, feel free to drop me an email. Just send an email to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. Uh, most importantly, though, just go out, have fun, and live life feet first. <laughs>